fear and hope are both really beautiful things because they call us to action. He literally sacrificed your grandmother for the Dow. It's great, but I don't want us to be like, oh my God, this is the best president, you know, the best administration ever. So it's been about a week since I've done this last round of interviews and um, just going back and listening to them and editing, I just got a lot of insights into the expansive effects of this election. I decided to interview my colleagues in the English department and talk to them about what the election week was like for them while we were trying to navigate academia, which... Uh, quite frankly, will make you believe that the pandemic isn't a big deal and therefore shouldn't affect your work productivity. So I hope you guys enjoy these interviews. It was a really difficult week. I mean, you know, we're, we're both colleagues, so we've like handled this election alongside our other responsibilities and commitments to our students and thinking about just like, our departmental duties with committees and so on. And um, I think I had pushed it sort of to into the background, the election a little bit because I knew it was coming, but I wasn't, you know, I had taken this hiatus from social media because I, I have a lot of different politics from my friends from high school or even undergrad and graduate school. And I just didn't want to, I wasn't at the right, in the right mind frame to sort of to sort of engage it quite yet. And then a couple of days prior, I just thought like, I can't, um, I can't avoid it. You know, this is a conversation that's important to my work and to like my very real like connections to people. And I can't just sort of be, you know, I'm participating in that sort of like ignorance and, and advancement of like certain things that I critique certainly all the time and decided to sort of step back in. And I mean, it was difficult. I had so much anxiety. Um, I couldn't sleep really well at night. And I think in particular for me, I felt really powerless um, in what I was doing in academia. And I think that that's something that continually comes back to haunt me in this very visceral way, which is, you know, I left my community border town to pursue a PhD in the Pacific Northwest. And you know, while I have established some community relations here, it's not like I'm actively engaged with, with organizations that are working with migrants or immigrants that are working with, you know, refugees, et cetera. And those are things that are very meaningful to my work. And so I just, I think powerless would be the right term where I just felt like I should have done more. I should have, um, you know, talk to more people, et cetera. And I don't think that these feelings are unusual in particular for, you know, black indigenous people of color in academia where you just sort of feel like there's a responsibility beyond just showing up and doing the work. There's like all of these other networks that constantly have to be attended to. So, I mean, you know, election day came and I, you know, didn't leave. I like shopped, went grocery shopping I didn't want to leave my house afterward because quite honestly, I don't trust Eugene. Um, you know, I've seen enough Trump caravans to get my fill um, of what kind of place I'm living in currently. And thankfully, I mean, things didn't, you know, 
at least not in in Eugene because I went out afterward just to sort of see what was going on it seemed to be okay like there wasn't a, a necessarily like very joyous response either which yeah. was shocking interesting. yeah, yeah. It was shocking, shocking because Eugene is sort of like this very, you know, feels itself out to be a very liberal progressive space. But I think maybe it speaks a lot to, I think, the sort of ways in which we just settled for Biden. Like it wasn't, um, <laughs> you know, we didn't, we, we chose the lesser evil. And I, and I know that you and I both have a lot of problems with sort of that, um, phrase or idea of really yeah it is it's a it's so harmful it's so violent um to have to choose the lesser evil but you know just thinking about the over 400 executive orders that were passed under the trump administration for immigration you know Mm. anti-immigration policies it moved me to make a choice right like that this was the right choice for my community at this time there was nothing else that was going to come um that was going to be at least it's an evil i recognize the democratic party (laughs) and that is sort of where i was at and i was glad and then i was glad to know that a lot of other people felt that way but it was also very unsettling to know that an overwhelming amount of people voted for this person that we are going to see and keep seeing all over this city and all over this country wherever we go. I think initially I felt I was doing a play-by-play with one of my colleagues from um, from South Texas and you know she's a graduate student at UTEP University of Texas El Paso and we were sort of using a lot of humor to sort of get us through and like sort of sending a lot of TikTok videos as a way of coping with the stress, but then also sort of having this like deep resentment of how could it be this close, you know, like to, to me, it just seemed like such a, it just seemed like such an urgent choice to make that you couldn't, like, it didn't need pause, you know, it didn't need that sort of for us to have waited that long to have known a result, you know, we didn't find out till Saturday, election night was Tuesday. And I just thought, is this, this is like, it revealed so much more about the future and the issues that we not only have experienced, obviously, but so many more obstacles that we haven't even overcome because we don't even know what they look like, to be quite honest yet. But so it was enraging. I mean, I think I went through a very, a very colorful range of emotions in that week. I wasn't feeling the same feelings I was in 2016, because in 2016, I actually had hope that Clinton was going to win. 2020, I didn't feel anything, because one, I was like, my vote didn't even count. I already have like mixed feelings about the voting system in general, Um, because I genuinely oppose people who force other people to go out and vote, because I think that's up to them. You know, I understand and respect those who are like you know you should go out you should go vote but at the same time like that's really up to them you know whether they want to want to vote or not um because what does it really mean to be an american citizen and i'm gonna put citizen in quotes when i say that because what does that mean yeah. in the end um so i was expecting to like hit me that day someday i'm like oh 
this is the day of the election. Like, but I wasn't feeling, it was odd. I really wasn't feeling anything. And then later on that day, on the Tuesday, but what I will say is I had decided all the, all like I had decided before, like much before, like maybe two weeks before, whatever the outcome of the election, I did not want to leave my apartment Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, part of that probably, or all that being influenced by the fact that I'm a brown woman. Yeah. Um, I was just like, I don't want to leave my apartment at all. However, come Tuesday, 5 p.m., you know, results are still going, coming in. And I think at that point, it still very much looked like the results of 2016. I was like, no, I need to go out. I need to go walk, you know. What am I, like, preventing? Reality. Mm. Um, so I went out and, like, did my usual walk at the park where I always go. And I came back, and it was, it was fun. The walk was amazing, ordered Thai food. And I was like, well, let's just see what's happening. And I watched ABC News, and good old George Stephanopoulos, that man, he is, like, the best at giving you observational facts, but doing it in a way that you're like, wow, that's so, like, stupendous. But it's just, like, straight-up observational facts. Um, he's like, yeah, you know, it's looking very much like 2016. Um, but, like, just things that you don't want to hear. Mm. And and I was like, I'm going to go to bed at this point. But sometime when I was in bed, Wisconsin and Michigan went blue. And I was like, wow. Because <laughs> I did not expect that to happen. Mm. Um, and Wednesday I woke up and I felt like I could, um, this might be a little team, but like, I felt like whatever was in my like stomach that like, I realized my stomach was also had been in knots like the entire week. And I didn't realize that it might've been somehow connected to like the election, but I didn't put two and two together. Yeah. Like my stomach felt like lighter. Yeah. It was like Wednesday morning when I got the water in my knees. I'm like, oh, Wisconsin and Michigan. Because I think those were the first two states to go blue. Yeah. Saturday morning, I was like, literally remembers because I went down, put my laundry into the laundry unit in our basement. I didn't even have my phone with me. I didn't even have a bra on. I was just in my laundry. <laughs> you know, having my detergent in my hand. <laughs> that was the moment I'm sitting there talking about challah bread that biden apparently pennsylvania officially went blue mm. and our neighbor actually had a picture of her and biden that same day last year mm. um which was crazy to think about because she was uh, we we're actually we we're all talking about the fact that that day so what was that october 7th no no not october 9th 7th 7th so she was saying November 7th of 2019, she was in the airport and he was there and she like quickly took a picture of him and she said the cutest thing was he was rolling his own back. <laughs> but she, we were all like, yeah, you know, at that point, he wasn't even leading in the polls. Like I think Buttigieg was like ahead of him and I was like, no one would think yeah. he would be the president-elect, you know. The whole campaign season, I had just been mentally preparing. Like I was like, 
not ready, but <laughs> prepared Just... for him to reelect. Yeah. So I was definitely in that headspace too. Um, and I, I genuinely was surprised, um, that, that he, that Biden did win. Um, especially when like, you look at the votes and you see that like 70 million people, more than 70 million people, like still were like, okay, he's doing great. He's doing, you know, Trump's doing great. Like let's, let's keep up with this. Like over 70 million people is just, it's mind boggling. Um, and so, yeah, when, (laughs) when they started counting those mail-ins, I was just like, okay, like, Oh, I didn't know how to feel. Like, I, I think I genuinely, um, like I very much remember, the day after 2016 and like walking around campus and just like having to go to class and feeling this like weight and cloud and, and you so were in I, Oregon in 2016 um, no I was back in Wisconsin okay. um, a rural oh. <laughs> rural part of uh, oh southwestern goodness. Wisconsin yeah um the the school I went to had I think it was about 10% or less uh, minority students. The city itself only had 10,000 people. It's a big farming community. Um, so it was very, very eerie, kind of obviously unsafe feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when this, yeah, like Friday, Saturday started to roll around, I almost just didn't know how to feel. Like I didn't know. I, anxiety was lifted in one in one way, but I also was like, I kind of want to cry, but I also just want to like celebrate, but it's like, where do I celebrate? Because we're in a pandemic. So it's like, oh, so many. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> I, I chose to hang out on New York times. Um, and I listened to a couple political podcasts that were updating. Uh, I tried to stay off social media. I checked into Twitter every once in a while, just for the memes. Yeah. Um, but I think like I just could not like close out those tabs. Like I mm-hmm. had to have them up and to just like constantly be checking. And so did it really help my anxiety? Probably not. But I also think like just like blacking out all social media, like for me personally, I don't know if that would have helped either. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I don't know. What about you? I I stayed off social media. I tried to uh I ignored the news. Um when Tuesday came and I saw Trump was leading, I was like, "Okay, one." And then mm-hmm. I then because I was like trying to prepare myself for how to feel after the fact and I really had thought Trump was going to win and so like mm-hmm. I was trying to preserve my inner anger and whatnot (laughs) um just by just like calm like just being numb and just like not paying attention to things um and i i mean i don't know how well i did with that but (laughs) when things started turning around i was like oh like is this really gonna happen like are we really like am i really gonna be able to like not have an election where i feel afraid to go to sleep (laughs) because <laughs> that's what right. i that's how yeah. i felt in 2016 when trump won mm-hmm. it was very tough to go to sleep um but yeah when 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 saturday came the seventh uh when the seventh came um it was a good day i think like i said you know i i noted there's sort of the relief the relief for me at least in 
having had an activist background, working with other activists, knowing that at least with this administration, right, this elect president, uh, you know, next presidential elect and vice presidential elect, we can recognize the sort of limitations that they're working under as well and the sort of shortcomings of the Democratic Party. Yeah. And therefore, we know we can push a little bit harder, right? With Trump, the Trump administration, to be quite honest, like it was sort of a revolting, <laughs> um, unknowable evil. Like it's like you don't, you didn't know what you were going to get next, to be quite honest. It's like you were going to wake up, there was going to be a new executive order, and who knows whether where you would be, right? Like these. It's not necessarily to say that our problems are are fixed because, you know, as I always like to tell people, like we started family detention centers under the Obama administration. We started deporting the highest numbers of immigrants in this country under the Obama administration, which is a Democratic, again, party, mm. right, uh, representative. And so we can't assume that Biden and Harris are naturally going to be our allies in all of these issues, right? I think that there are some that we can sort of work together on. Certainly, for example, stopping family separations at the U.S.-Mexico border is, is something that was outlined in both of their plans um, as being, you know, pretty, pri like they were prioritized on, on their plans. Mm -hmm. But it's not just about ending family separation you know, if you're just going to put a whole family together in another cage, like that's not that that's not sort of where the work ends. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It sort of goes further than that. And I, we're having the same conversations within, you know, border um, work and border studies in terms of, you know, not just defunding the police, but something we've been talking about for longer than that has been to abolish ICE. Right. And yeah. we're yet to be able to do that because, I mean, the border has become increasingly more militarized and we're not really even sure as to how Biden and Harris are going to sort of sort of be able to attend to all the things. They can undo a lot of things that Trump did. Again, a lot of those were executive orders which can be easily sort of undone. Um, but it's sort of what is going to be put into place that's going to guarantee safety and security for immigrants in the next four years at for the very least right yeah. and then ongoing from there it's such a large question in terms of you know what to do at the border because you have so many competing narratives about what's actually going on what, there yeah. you know the media sort of sensationalizes all of these um projects of like people are crossing at all times you know we have to build the wall, you know, all of that rhetoric was really set up by the Trump administration as a way to, you know, create more jobs, but at the, at what cost? Like the cost was these jobs were primarily in Homeland Security, right? They were um, Border Patrol agents, ICE, they were, um, you know, as of June, for example, there were over 5,000 military personnel um, that were deployed and stationed all across the U.S.-Mexico border to help support border patrol efforts. And they were just, there's just, they're senseless acts. They're senseless acts because it's coming 
this like policy making is coming from people that don't actually have any understanding of what the border is actually like <laughs> that have never probably been there except on you know some some campaign for a day a few hours and then they assume that they know what border life is actually like and yeah. and it's not it's not that way i mean i lived there for over 25 years myself at the texas mexico border and i mean it's as it's certainly more commercial and um developed into an urban area than eugene oregon is for sure hmm. i can uh, you know and and it's just that and its lower crime rates i mean it's just people are not as aware of what's actually going on so you know we respond and i think it shows that you know millions of people really responded to trump's tactics of you know we need to increase border security we need to stop um immigrants you know undocumented people from being in our country we need to utilize daca you know like as a per, like to stop it because daca is allowing these people to stay here um it's just a lot of narratives that are totally unfounded and they're not going back to the to the work that latinx communities and again not just scholars but activists and community organizers have been doing for for decades yeah yeah this is, what what are some resources that people could you know, point to to know more about um, what's happening at the border and like what it's like to live at the border? Yes. So there's a few organizations that I am really um, sort of a little bit more biased toward just because I've seen the work that they've done and they've done very good work. Um, for one, there is Raices. That's primarily one of the largest sort of nonprofit organizations in Texas it provides legal counsel to immigrants and migrants at all stages so you know if someone's coming in and they're being detained they can immediately sort of seek counsel through that resource and they actually had a webinar um today that i was participating in that basically just sort of outlined the plans for you know in this change of administration what is the next step right like nice. one battle has been won perhaps but there's this ongoing war. And now what are we gonna do to make sure that we're holding our elected officials in all these capacities um, accountable to what they said they were gonna do for our communities. And so, you know, a lot of that work is being done through them and they have like what they're calling, I believe, border warriors. And so what this means is that you can, um, the, you set up like a, like an emailed sort of database and you can, you know, help people register to vote for the next upcoming election, like even thinking already four years mm. down the road, um, but thinking also in more immediate things in terms of your local elected officials who are representing you in multiple ways on these issues of immigration and border policies. But there are other networks and, and I'll send you the stuff so you can yeah, maybe you can. like link it. I'll link. Yeah, that's yeah, because yeah. I think that'll be easier. But there's tons of resources, too, in terms of like um, folks that do like shelters like that pick up resources um, for like basic toiletries, et cetera, that can be given to folks seeking asylum or that are in centers right now currently yeah. being detained yeah. um, clothes 
all sorts of things like that, that are ongoing efforts, um, not just at tech in Texas, but across the US Southwest. Yeah. Kamala Harris, um, or as many of us in the Indian community refer to her as Kamala Auntie. Oh. I don't know if you, if you guys know. <laughs> um, I say that, I do say that with respect. So like in, in many, I don't know why we do this, but in Indian communities, and I don't know if it's like a language-based thing, so I don't know if like all the languages within India do it, but I know like in the Tamil community, and like most of my friends who like maybe speak Punjabi or speak like Marathi, they do this too. We always say the name first and then like our relationship to the person. Hmm. So it'd be like Ian uncle or say, say for instance, you're my uncle, but like Jalen uncle. Hmm. So <laughs> I just call her uh, Kamala auntie. <laughs> no good old Kamala. Um, and she actually is Tamil as well. Oh. And she's from the same, like her family, her mom's side is from the same family. Uh, like actually very, very close to where my family's from within oh. Chennai, which oh. is odd. Um, but the fact that there is this woman who is not only a woman of color, she's, she's, she's black. She's Jamaican, she's black, she's Indian, she's specifically a language I speak. That's something that you also don't like see because that too, you usually um, see a lot of like Hindi politicians, Hindi intellectuals, you see a lot of Bengali intellectuals. Hmm. Most of our scholarship, I don't know if you ever, I don't know if it's something you would ever pick up on. Um, in, in academia, most of the scholarship is by Bengalis and that is a big, hmm. um, issue in itself so the fact that she's tunnel is something i can't help like really be brought to um there's a video of her and mindy kaling making masala dosa together and on youtube and that alone as well well that's you that's to say those little moments i'm like wow there's a person that you know like i said i settled for biden um and Kamala, I mean, she has her issues, but like, I'm not gonna lie and say that it isn't like incredible to see a black woman in the vice presidential, you know, seat. Like, that's just wild to me. Um, but I think we, I at least had to kind of understand that like they're coming into an economy that sucks. <laughs> they're coming, they're coming off, uh, they're coming into, I guess, a presidency that has created inflamed i guess so much you know racial uh tension and violence yeah. um supported sanctioned sanctioned murders yeah. right so they're having to do a lot of work on that up front um but is it ever going to go as far as we want no <laughs> um are they ever going to fully defund the police? No. Um, so I think a part of it is kind of understanding that them being in office is doing less harm, right? Mm -hmm. And it's kind of going to pacify a lot of the, the injury that's, that's occurred over the last four years, but it's still not going to go far enough. Yeah. Um, and I think that while we can be excited about what they're doing, we also don't want to applaud fish for swimming, right? Like, I like that because phrase. I feel like we've <laughs> we've been like so beaten down, you know, by a president that does doesn't give a shit. Um, so that when we when we see someone who's competent, when we see someone who's caring about basic rights, you know what I mean? Like, 
it's great, but I don't want us to be like, oh my God, this is the best president, you know, the best administration ever, which I feel like that's already happening. Would you say don't, don't. Applaud a fish for swimming. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is the bare minimum. Like I love when she talks about her mom. I didn't cry. That was the moment I think I had a twinkle in my eye because I'm not a crier. Um, I loved his run. His half run stopped and then he ran again because I was like, that's how I run. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I think my absolute favorite was when he looked inside, looked in the audience, was like, I think I see you, Ruth. I think I see you. I don't know if you remember that part. I, when he was giving a speech yeah wh- and, then was, run, and then he's like like the biggest like most joe biden most like old grandpa move ever was like let me look for the yeah i did i saw that but i didn't <laughs> it's listening to you talk about it it does yeah it, it it is a very joe biden what it meant to not have donald trump win again is i think more so what that day meant for me not to have betsy davos as the fucking secretary of state you know not to have mike pence person who believes in conversion therapy <laughs> so, you know vp yeah. um just not to have that image and that presence to know that they didn't win again and like i know people like well it was a close election i'm like i understand but for this brief moment let me just relish yeah in the fact that they didn't come they didn't win how did you feel if you don't mind me asking i was numb the whole week um i didn't i i mean the news was on all the time but i would ignore it and go do something else because i was like yeah we're not gonna find out anything until they want to tell us or until the votes are being tallied so i didn't really keep up with it consistently just because my my nerves are just too bad for that yeah so yeah when saturday got here and we found out and it was like 11 a.m here i was like oh i i was gonna that was when i was gonna do work but i was like oh no i'm just gonna relax because joe biden just won the presidency let me just relax and yeah chill out because yeah i mean i think my feeling of numbness was because i thought trump was going to win again so i was trying to prepare myself for what the environment was gonna be like. I was really expecting, if Trump were to win again, I was really expecting the just environment of Eugene, Oregon to be very, um, almost like walking on eggshells if you're black or brown, um, queer woman, et cetera. Like, I, I feel like that, I mean, not saying that that still isn't a danger for 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 group those group of people but i feel like if trump would have won again i feel like it would have what happened in 2016 would have happened times two i feel like so yeah i was of course happy that biden won and i been slowly a little bit keeping up with trump's litigation stuff 
a little bit but I can't uh give that too much attention either so I was honestly surprised at how much space it occupied in my mind <laughs> um like I was prepared for it to be multiple days um but I think with the antics of uh the trump campaign team it just made it a lot more stressful uh mm. than i had anticipated but yeah on top of a pandemic so <laughs> um but i think it was for me at least eye-opening in um how i mean i'm not i'm not I settled for Biden, of course, as, as many people did, but I think it did show that kind of all along there was a strategy all along that um, he he was able to kind of appeal to that like mid center kind of Republicans mm. that were fed up, which was, uh, I think, good. Yeah. I think in the end, like the Democratic Party, like picked the right person to do that i think i'll still be uncertain about what the future is for latinx communities in an increasingly anti-immigrant world mm. anti-immigrant united states you know daca as as much as i know it's going to be reinstated and then you know I, I hope that additional policies will be set into place to secure DACA for future recipients. I still know that we're still operating under those two, those like good immigrant, bad immigrant narratives and stereotypes. And I'm uncertain about the future of, of our community efforts. I don't know I don't know how to sort of work to bring us more together when we're so torn apart. I mean, again, the election made that really clear. I have hope, I think, and this is one of the things that even this conversation has for me is that it shows us that there are people that are really invested in making these changes at all sorts of different levels. So not just at the community level, which is obviously probably perhaps the most important part and component, but that things are sort of going upwards too into academia. And that to me is sort of our responsibility, right? Is that a lot of the folks that we're interacting with on a daily basis aren't even well-informed on these issues, not just because they don't want to be, I don't even think it comes from that. It's just that what gets the most media attention is all of sort of the negative aspects of this conversation and never the, the ones that have that residual hope of there's so much left to do yeah. and that to me is like that to me is like sort of the most important component of it is that i'm excited because i'm uncertain and i'm scared but i have the privilege of being documented i have the privilege of having made it this far in terms of education and I, there were a lot of sacrifices made for me to get to the point that I'm at and I'm going to utilize that privilege to have these conversations for the rest of my career so I think it's like fear you know fear and hope are both really beautiful things because they call us to action what my uncertainty is 
how Biden and Harris's relationship with each state's government and govern governors are going to work in terms of how they're going to treat the pandemic. Because I think, I know we're going to roll back to phase two in two couple of days, but I think states should be a lot stricter. Mm. And I want to know how readily they're going to do that. Mm. Um, and I think that's going to be a test of, for a lot of voters who did switch and their switch coming, um, being related to how Trump dealt with the pandemic. Um, I think how Harris and Biden will deal with the virus and any lockdown situations or any types of phase one, phase two, phase three situations that need to be dealt with will say a lot. Um, and that's what I'm concerned about because I do think there needs to be more. I, I just don't want us to get comfortable. I feel like mm. um, I think we're going to get very comfortable because we're tired. We've been beat down. We're exhausted. Um, and I feel like four years is going to go by like that. And we yeah. know, um, we don't know for sure, but <laughs> Biden has suggested that he's not going to go for a second term. Um, and so I think there's a still a lot of work to be done within within the four years that he is there, um, particularly with um, midterm elections, with Senate and House seats opening up. Um, and I just don't want us to, to relax too much because I feel like if that happens, um, progress will not be made because this is, this is I, I hate to use the term back to normal, but this is, this is back to the center, right? This is back to this isn't pushing us further, um, further left into more universal health care towards more equity, right? Like this is just getting us out of the trenches and it is back to the center. So mm. I just that is something that I'm I'm concerned that we'll 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 relax too much. As I reflect on my interviews in in this episode, I am reminded of the the common theme of hope. So I, I kind of got on a, a question of uh, what is hope? And I think I have an ambivalent relationship to it because I, I find that it's hard to achieve hope in a country that deprives you of, of those kind of feelings of hope, joy, all of the feelings that are supposed to make you feel good as people of color, as as black people, brown people, queer people, trans people. I I think for for our communities we have a lim have a limited access to hope at times. We live in a country that devalues us. We live in a country that doesn't want us to quite frankly have a life. And, and that can feel completely hopeless. But I don't want to give too much credit to the white supremacist uh, capitalist patriarchy, to quote uh, the great Bill Hooks. I don't want to give too much power to that system. They already have enough. So I think while I was getting on this whole tangent about hope, I needed to be thinking about the ways that I found hope in the way that I thought about it. And 
I think that's still a struggle for me. I'm very hopeful of trying to keep myself going during this pandemic and during the the trials and tribulations of the year 2020. Thank y'all for listening to this series. If you liked a particular episode, make sure to share it on your social medias. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at GoBlackBoyGo. And you can listen to it on most major platforms. And uh, I guess I'll premiere this. Um, I have a YouTube channel where I'll be posting videos of the interviews that I've done in the episodes. So um, I'll be posting those all throughout the week. And the YouTube is Go Black Boy Go. I'll make sure to link it in the description. And as always, y'all take care. And once again, Vatra.